So let's pray before we read um, the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your Word of God. We also thank you uh, for the fact that it is the Word you have spoken through prophet and also your people. We therefore commit this time to your hand as we read your Word and preach. You anoint us and also open our eyes and ears that we might be able to hear your voice. We pray for Jewish people around us today as they prepare for Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. We also pray as they repent their sins and examine themselves. We pray that you open their heart that they might clearly see that they need sacrifice which is Jesus on the cross. We pray for Becky as she visits synagogue today to um, help with their service. We pray that she'll be light and salt um, among Jewish people, that people might clearly see um, good testimony from her. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's chapter 8. It's quite long, but... I'd rather read from beginning to the end. So let's listen to what God has to say to us. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven, and out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trample them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard the Holy One speaking, and another Holy One said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be um, concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Then it, then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning 
that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance, appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time, the end shall be. The ram which you saw, having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall rise, having fierce features, who understand sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty, and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told is true. Therefore, set up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterwards, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Amen. So let me just show you some pictures before we start. So as you see, um, the story of Israel, especially northern Israel. So we can divide three parts, and we deal with this latter part of the story of Israel. So it, it starts with Solomon and Jeroboam, and then there are many kings, and then northern Israel falls here. And storylines goes down to South Judah from here. And then we've got um, some prophecies or Bible written during this time. There are four Bibles here as well as two Bibles later. And we are uh, dealing with Daniel, book of Daniel here. Uh, but there are four Bibles before Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah is important book in this part because as you see here, Jeremiah started his ministry from Josiah's time and he witnessed this um, uh, Assyrian kingdom fall as well as South Judah fall. So though it is uh, one of prophecies, it also contained like long history of Israel. And Daniel and Ezekiel, it was written just before the fall of South Judah. And it also goes through that captivity period. But as I said before, there is common misconception. We believe, we sometimes pretend that there is definite um, division between king's period and captivity period. So that's why we are confused when we read the Bible. 
But if you read the Bible carefully, this king's period and captivity period overlaps. Um, so that's why there are two like, stages of the Bible when it writes on this period. One is in Jerusalem and the other one is in Babylon. So when you read the Bible during this time or period, you have to bear in mind whether it happens in Jerusalem or in Babylon. So as you see here, the king's period doesn't end, but the Daniel was captured and brought to Babylon in Jehoiakim's time. So there are two stages. One is in Jerusalem with Jeremiah and Babylon with Daniel. And king's period still exists with this capti captivity period. And Ezekiel was captured and moved to um, stage B, which is Babylon in Jehoiakim's time. And after Zedekiah, Judah finally fell. And then um, we have like um, this period ended in the middle of captivity period. And we had this um, stage B uh, stayed only. And during this Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel times, it is Jerusalem. So as you see, uh, Babylon attacked South Judah, and it finally destroyed South Judah. So before it fell, there are two stages in the first one, stage eight in Jerusalem with Jeremiah, and second stage in Babylon with Daniel and Ezekiel. So it's not too difficult to understand if you just bear um, in mind with these um, diagrams. And um, as we study this Daniel and um, like background, um, like first um, dream and interpretation uh, of Daniel is Nebuchadnezzar's dream and is kind of foundation for other interpretation or visions. And we know well of this vision. So Daniel was written uh, between this time. Uh, so it uh, prophesied of Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and Rome after empire. Um, it is an amazing book because, as I said before, some people um, just say if they can see God, they can believe in him. Uh, when we go out and do the evangelism. But it's very easy to prove that God exists. You can simply read the Daniel, book of Daniel, and go to British Museum and find what happened, especially with Greece and Rome, as well as Persia, and compare between what happened and what was written before in the book of Daniel. And then just find whether there is anything wrong with the book of Daniel. That we can prove that nothing is wrong, everything is uh, prophesied, and everything is fulfilled in the book of Daniel. So that's why liberal theologians, they hate this book. But it still stands and simply proves that our God is God of creation and also God of completion. Anyway, so this is chapter 2, and it exactly happened in the history. So this is Babylonian Empire. So this is had in uh, vision of Daniel chapter 2, 
This is Persian Empire. And this is Greek Empire, especially with Alexander time. And after Alexander, we know that um, the kingdom was divided into four parts, mainly two parts, uh, with two smaller parts. And it was prophesied in um, Daniel chapter 2. So after Alexander, there are two um, dynasties from Greek Empire. First one is Seleucid, and uh, second one was Ptolemyan. And then we've got this Roman Empire. So if you see this diagram, so this is Empire of Asru, Assyrian, and this is Babylonian Empire. And as you see, when Babylonian Empire is quite short in history, this media and Persian Empire grew and then became empire after. And then this Greek Empire appeared with Alexander the Great. And then this is divided into two, uh, these two dynasties. And then they merged to Roman Empire. And oops, this Roman Empire just uh, filled the gap afterwards. So that's the uh, our secular history, and it is all prophesied in the book of Daniel. It sounds easy, but if somebody just go out on the street and begin to prophesy and says that something catastrophic um, will happen either in UK or in Korea and just prophesy of the future, everyone will point out um, our finger and said that he or she is crazy. That's what Daniel did, and everything was exactly prophesied and also fulfilled um, in the history. That's why we can trust in the Bible and also believe that it is word of God. So if you turn to verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. So it says, it was second time vision appeared during this King Belshazzar. And we know in chapter 7, verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel, had a dream. So we can assume that it, these two dreams happened still in Babylonian Empire. So this uh, Persian Empire didn't appear yet. It was still in Babylonian Empire. And verse 2, it says, Shushan, the citadel, Daniel had this vision. And this place was also the background of the book of Esther. If you um, turn to Esther chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel. So this city of Shushan was therefore used both in Babylon and Persian times. Anyway, Daniel had a vision in this citadel, Shushan. And verse 3 says, Standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And as I said in chapter 7, it seems that God repeated the vision to Daniel, um, we sometimes believe we are clever, but God knows us exactly. 
So God has to repeat. <laughs> That's the best way of learning. And God seems to do it with Daniel as well. So he repeats his vision, but with in more details here. And this ram in chapter, uh, verse 3 is the same with the bear of vision in chapter 7, verse 5 of Daniel. So chapter 7, verse 5, if you turn to chapter 7, verse 5, it says, And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. So this ram with two horns, it represents Middle Persian Empire. Persians were dominant, but later than mid. So that's why they've got two horns, but second one is better than the first one, because Persian was dominant afterward and later than mid. It was therefore higher horn according to this vision. So as you see from the beginning, it's, it's very exact description of what would happen in the future. Nothing is wrong. And it's quite amazing to uh, see how detailed this vision was and also fulfilled in history. I can't believe people still um, not to believe uh, the Bible, uh, though um, these kind of visions and also fulfillment were given in the Bible. And we know from the history, Persian Empire spread north, south, west, and it is also prophesied according to verse 4 of chapter 8, and none could stand against it until it confronted the goat, according to verse 6 and 7. And if you visit British Museum, you can see the evidence. They are very courageous. They, they are the ones who invented many weapons, and they are the ones who advanced uh, with many nations until it was struck by this god, which represents Greek empire. And verse 5, it says, a male goat, not ram, male goat, came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And we know from the history of Greek empire, Alexander the Great quickly swept the vast amount of land. So it's fulfilled as well. And verse 7, it says that, and I saw him, Alexander the Great, confronting the ram. So let me just show another diagram. You go to, yeah. Yeah, the other one, please. No, the other one. So as you see, I said the vision has been repeated. So chapter 2, we've got this vision of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And we explained that the first one represents Babylonian Empire. Second one, Persian Median Empire. Third part, Greek Empire. And fourth part represents Roman Empire. And this uh, fifth part represents future tribulation period. And when we reach to chapter 7, this head of gold uh, is the same with lion. Arms of silver is the same with bear. And this bronze part is the same with leopard. And legs iron is the same with the beast in chapter 7, which we saw before. And when we reach to chapter 8, the, according to the vision, there are rams and also goat. And this ram represents Persian Median Empire. And goat 
represent Greek empire, but with more detail in description. And then when we reach to chapter 11, it speaks only on the Greek empire, especially that two divisions uh, after Alexander the Great. And we'll see when we reach to chapter 11. So as you see this map, this is the situation of Greece before it became empire. So we'll deal with this matter now. So if you are athlete or like the sports, you might like this story when uh, Greek empire finally uh, invaded uh, Persian empire and became dominant empire in the world. And I'm sure you know a story about the Battle of Marathon, and that's what uh, was prophesied in chapter 8 and fulfilled in history. So let me read out this um, history. In 490 BC, King Darius led his Persian army in an attack on Greece, which resulted in the Battle of Marathon. This assault was the Persian second attempt at revenge on the Athenians and the Eritreans, who had previously backed the Ionian revolt against Persian rule. The first attempt, two years previous, was unsuccessful due to a storm which was believed to have been sent by Gorge from Olympus to destroy the Persian fleet. So Persian kingdom, they wanted to invade this Greek um, dynasty, but they failed because of this um, wind um, sent uh, by uh, Olympus, uh, which they believed. And as the Persian fleet sailed toward Greece in 490 BC, so it was second time, they conquered several islands, including Eritrea. So Eritrea is here, as you see, not clear, but Eritrea is here, Athens is here. There are some Greek people, so <laughs> they might know better. But anyway, yeah. So this is capital of Greek dynasty, and they conquered Eritrea first by Persian Empire. Um, and they arrived on Greek soil at Marathon Bay. This is Marathon Bay, next to Eritrea. And um, so this Marathon Bay was 35 kilometers northeast of Athens. So the Persian had a massive infantry and cavalry, which included 48,000 men, outnumbering the Athenians uh, four by one. So everyone believed that Persian uh, would succeed in this invasion. But despite the fact that the Persian were the striking army, their fighting style was defensive. Their main weapon was the bow and arrow, and their key tactic was to wait until the enemy came close, at which time the Persians would bury them with a heavy barrage of bows and arrows. The Athenians, on the other hand, had a more offensive doctrine. Their main weapon was the long, heavy spear, and they shielded themselves with heavy armament, including helmet, shield, and breastplate. They favored close combat battle formations, lacking both cavalry and bows. The Persian invasion and marathon occurred on September 9, 490 BC. For eight days, the two armies stood confronting each other. On the ninth day, Persians started an advance forcing Miltiades, the commander-in-chief of the Athenian army, to deploy his army of 10,000 Athenians for battle. When the Persians saw the Athenians coming down on them without cavalry or archers, um, and few in numbers, they thought them as an army of madmen 
running through their certain destruction, according to historian Herodotus. The Athenians were able to surround the Persians, whose bows and arrows were no match for the strong spears of Athenians. The previously invincible Persians turned their backs and fled as the Athenians um, chased them back to their ships. They took place the most critical battle, resulting in 192 Athenian casualties and 6,400 Persian deaths. The reason why it was important is that that's when this Western European society was born. Uh, after they won the battle with this Persian kingdom. The Persians lost seven ships to the Athenians. However, Miltiades and his Athenian army realized that the Persian fleet could sail and attack the undefended city of Athens. So as you see here, this is Battle of Marathon. So Greek won the battle against Persia, but when Persia ships fled, they might just pop into Athens, Athens is here, and destroy it. So that's why they uh, were concerned. So Pydipides, 26 mile, um, so he, this um, commander-in-chief, Miltiades, he called upon Pydipides. So this was famous guy uh, who ran the marathon for the first time, and he broke the record even uh, in three hours. Anyway, this Pydipides to run to Athens to bring the news of victory and a warning of the approaching Persian ships. Pydipides, uh, 26 mile run from Marathon to Athens, the first marathon ever, was successfully completed in about three hours. We know that people now do in two hours, but yeah, uh, it's quite amazing that he did in three hours. So Phaedipides became a martyr, he died, dying from exhaustion after fighting all day and completing the run. However, he successfully won the Athenians and when the Persian fleet arrived in Athens, Athenian soldiers were ready to protect their land. Upon seeing the prepared Athenian army, the Persians turned and sailed back to Persia in defeat. Thus, the Battle of Marathon marked the end of 10-year conflict between Greece and Persia. It distinguished the first time the Greeks had beaten the Persian on their own land. It gave Greeks faith in their own destiny as a nation, and therefore, this battle is considered one of the most important events marking the birth of European culture. So, uh, before this time, um, the empires in Mesopotamia, they are the ones who have become empires, like invading all of the place. But since they, their defeat in this battle of Marathon, Greek people began to have courage, uh, especially as a nation, um, and then just um, appeared as first runner of these empires. And Persians was finally defeated by Greeks in 333 BC to 331 BC, as Alexander the Great, um, he took Holy Land and then defeated Persians, ending Persian Empire. And Alexander was very powerful, but died in 323 BC, leading to fourfold division of Greek Empire. So that's the history in the past, and we can easily check whether uh, it really happened if you go to museum or read up, uh, books, and it is exactly prophesied uh, according to the Bible. So if you go to 
verse 8 of chapter 8, it says, Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, this he uh, was uh, Alexander the Great, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. We knew from the history again, this Alexander the Great, he was great. <laughs> it's like, as you see from prophecy of Daniel, he didn't even walk on the foot. He just sweep everything <laughs> because he was too fast and conquer everything. But he died in early age. And it was also prophesied in verse 8. And we had four division after him. If he didn't die, um, history might change a little further because he's got a mission to spread philosophy, culture, and also political system of Greece to other countries. We might be more Greek than before if he didn't die, but as he died, he had to stop and then hand over to four uh, other kings afterward. Another interesting thing is in verse 9. So it says that out of one of them came a little horn. So after four like kingdoms, after uh, Alexander the Great and four divisions will appear. Let me just show you. So as you see, um, after Alexander the Great, the place where he conquered was divided into four parts. First one is Ptolemaic Empire. This is Seleucid Empire. And this part is Antigonid Empire. And this middle part has become independent state. So it was divided into four parts. And then verse 9, it says that there was little horn grew out of four divisions. And then this guy was very interesting to us. So verse 9 says, Out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land which would be Israel. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Verse 12 says, because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to op oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard the Holy One speaking, and another Holy One said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. And it prophesied of Antiochus IV, and he was one of notorious um, king in the history, especially against Jewish people. He just, um, just ruined everything um, Judaic, especially in Israel, and he just blasphemed God of Israel as well. He grew great and took away daily sacrifice in the temple, and he cast down truth as it was prophesied as we read, as false priests in Jerusalem joined him. So he desecrated the temple in Jerusalem and severely persecuted the Jews from about September 170 BC to December 165 or 164 BC. And it was approximately 2,300 days, which is 
six years, one and third years. And it was prophesied as well from verse 9 to 14. But miraculously, as we read the history, the sanctuary was cleansed afterward by Maccabees after. So it was also prophesied in this part. And as you see, it is quite a um, catastrophic event prophesied. And it's not easy to just um, um, predict what would happen, um, especially uh, if it is catastrophic. But it is done by the Bible, especially book of Daniel, and it is exactly fulfilled through our history. Nobody knows that Maccabees would turn up and cleanse the temple after this terrible thing happened to the temple and also Jewish people. But they did appear and cleanse the temple as uh, prophecy said. And verse 15, it says, Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man, Daniel, understand the vision. So Daniel pondered upon this vision. It's quite um, more than what he could bear. In a way, he saw the vision of whole history, uh, especially on the future. So he might feel desert and also quite confused. And he needed interpretation. And our God is kind enough to send people to interpret what he saw in the vision here to, to help Daniel understand the vision. So Daniel seeked enlightenment about the vision, and Gabriel, the angel, came to make vision known. And the interesting thing is, in verse 15 it says, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. We know that Daniel seek for safety and redemption of Jewish people. So that's why he began to pray when he read Jeremiah that after 70 years, Jewish people got released from the captivity of Babylon and, and would go back to Israel. So that's how he came up. But from verse 15, God seems to speak to Daniel about eternal redemption of Jewish people. It's not only like temporary redemption. It's great that Jewish people managed to get released from Babylon and went back to Israel to build up temple again. But God bore in mind uh, from the vision that he also wants to speak about eternal redemption of Jewish people here. So after he showed the vision of this Antiochus 4, from verse 15, he wants to speak about the time of the end. And verse 19, if you go to verse 19, it says, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. And verse 26, if you go to 26, it says, for it refers to many days in the future. So I believe, and Tony also agrees, and some of um, theologians also agree, it therefore merges from Antiochus to Antichrist from this part. So something of the order of Antiochus will take place in the last days. 
Another evidence is in verse 25. If you go to verse 25 of chapter 8, it says, he, he shall be, this um, either Antiochus or Antichrist, he shall be broken without hand. So it is, why it is not Antiochus, but Antichrist, because according to Maccabees, do you know Maccabees, the Jewish book, um, recording Jewish histories, this Antiochus, this notorious king, died of natural cause. Um, some people argue that he, he died because of illness or uh, he was killed by people, but he died uh, on natural cause. But according to verse 25, as well as what angels said, they said, um, they prophesy on the time of the end or later time of the indignation or many days in the future. They also add in verse 25, this guy shall be broken without hand. So this Gabriel, although he speaks about Persian and Greek empires in verse 20 to 22, he then seems to claim in verse 23, that Antiochus is the type of Antichrist. As I said before, we seem to believe that there are many new things appearing, like technology, science. Um, we want to believe that they invent new things, but there's nothing new under the sun, according to God. And sin doesn't change. And everything doesn't change. It's the same. Satan is the same. God is the same. Uh, we change a bit. <laughs> but we'll be uh, same again after resurrection. And as you see, God seemed to repeat the history to remind people of what will happen in the future. We claim to be clever, but unless we repeat, we won't be able to learn. That's what God does here. So this Antiochus is the type of Antichrist. So according to Revelation, Antichrist will get first religious leaders on his side, as Antiochus did, come promising peace, as Antiochus did, but in fact, bring defilement, as Antiochus did. Um, I, I can speak more of this subject, but I will leave to Tony because he always explains better. Anyway, as you see from here, this angel of Gabriel seems to speak on eternal redemption of Jewish people rather than that immediate future. And verse 27, after Daniel saw the vision, it says, he was fainted and sick at vision as he realized that there will be many days until final redemption of Israel. God's plan, uh, in a way, I, I believe Daniel didn't expect that God would show him this final version of redemption, then immediate uh, version of redemption. He was the one who prayed um, whether God would fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah after 70 years, but it was God who chose to show him eternal redemption of his own people. In a way, we also realize that God's plan is sometimes different and above than what we imagine or hope for. It is, however, perfect and eternal. And another interesting thing is verse 27. It says that Daniel arose and went about the king's business. He didn't just sit down and enjoy vision <laughs> and just continue to pursue vision. Though he was fainted, he arose and went about the king's business. So in conclusion, the book of Daniel affirms that God punishes 
but always restores by bringing the Jewish people back 70 years after their captivity. It also tells us that God is still ruling the world by accurately predicting and fulfilling the rise and fall of empires even when his people were in captivity. Furthermore, by prophesying through Greece and Rome what would happen between the Old Testament and New Testament, we call it intertestamental period, when the record of the Bible post, God still reigns at this time. So it's like Greece and Rome time. Uh, the Bible seems to pause in writing, but God still speaks through the book of Daniel and, and by his vision. And by telling not only the first coming, but also what will happen at and around the second coming of Jesus the Messiah. We know from Daniel that he spoke on first coming, but also uh, second coming of Jesus, that he confirms that Jesus is indeed Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, and that as he came um, according to prophecy, he will come again to complete the work of redemption. If you are doubtful of his second coming, you have to read Daniel and found the record of history when Jesus came for the first time to make sure that God also fulfilled the second coming of Jesus. And finally, God uses the four children, Jewish children, who are taken captive, who are only maximum 18 years old. It's amazing. <laughs> um, some people say they would be 13 years old. And if you go to our low cabin, you might see <laughs> 13 years old boys. But they are the ones God used. Um, to show that God can use those who are prepared and ready, regardless of their age, their status, their wealth, their numbers, or uh, even they are small. So that's what I try to say today. And um, we sometimes feel quite helpless, but it is God who knows everything and also starts very well and he will finish perfectly when Jesus comes back in the end. Okay, so shall we pray? Father, thank you for this book of Daniel. We also thank you for your pro prophecy you have given to your faithful people to deliver us, to confirm that God indeed exists and he will fulfill every promise as he has fulfilled, promised before. We therefore commit ourselves to your hand and rely on this hope for the future that we might face every day in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.